0: You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. Now I want to talk a little bit tonight. Uh, we'll put that passage back up that we're looking at on the mountainside. And we've read through it. Now I want to, there are some underlying words there that actually make up seven things about how God chooses man to work in his Kingdom. I want to go back to it again, the passage entirely, and read the first part. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And these are the twelve he appointed. It goes on and gives the names again. It's not a bad idea to remember those names. Uh, it's, uh, most people cannot reproduce the list. Easily, you always forget one or two, right? Like, oh wait, what was that guy's name? But what's important here for the sake of our message is uh, verses 13 through 15. And we're going to break down that into seven parts tonight. And I want to start with number one, where it says Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those, and it goes on. But we want to focus on the part that he is calling them because it's the same Greek word and the same understanding of when you call someone out of darkness into marvelous light, which would be salvation. When you call someone into the ministry, when you call a group together, ecclesia, church. So we the, we hear the call of God. God's calling to people. It says that many uh, are called, but few are chosen. And that's one of the things that we wanna try to figure out tonight. If God is calling everybody, why is it that some people respond, some people do not? So the calling of God is in the beginning. and is the beginning of all things for the people of the kingdom. And before you transition into the kingdom, in other words, God calls us all first to accept the sacrifice of Jesus. What Jesus did for us, that's the first thing he calls us to understand. And he brings us into a place where we can hear about Jesus, where we can see the example of people's lives. And even though we may be of other beliefs or of other faiths, we begin to be convinced about what we see, what we hear. And as that thing about God or Jesus is dealing with our hearts, that is God's call. That's God saying, come over. I have something for you. I want to bless you. And he's calling all people because God's not wanting anybody to perish. He wants everybody to come to the knowledge of the cross. And Jesus really was calling his disciples apart. You know, not everybody he called responded to that call. Not everybody he said, come apart with me, actually were able to go and be with him. So in calling people, people have a choice. Um, As I said many called few chosen, but why are we chosen? Why are we not chosen? We're called but not all of us will respond to that call and it's sad when we see as believers in Christ, we often will see the call of God on somebody's life and They do not see it They may not know Jesus, but you begin to see supernatural things around them things that are more than a coincidence that it is God's hand or the way that God is calling them and they may not respond. And it kind of breaks your heart because you think, man, if I had had as many signs, I would have responded sooner. If I had seen, and I've seen people in positions of being blessed with all kinds of signs and wonders and so obvious that God is speaking to them and they will even say things like, God's been speaking to me, I think. Is it a sign? Is he trying to show me something? Well, of course it is. But it's still up to the individual to respond to the call or not. Now that's in the first level of calling. That's when he calls to salvation. And many people in the day of Jesus believed that Jesus was the Christ. By the time he died, was buried, and rose again, many people believed in him. So the first level was they responded to that call By believing, we know that if we believe and confess that we believe, that is salvation according to Romans 10. So we believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth. He's calling us all to believe. Now another level of call is when he calls us into another realm of service, uh, separation. Uh, This came about today in a conversation I was having with a friend of mine who said, really good question as a disciple to a mentor, do I have to be you? Hmm, interesting question. Do I have to become what you are? And I said, that's a really good question. My fast answer is, of course, not no. But my slower answer is, Paul said, be imitators of me, even as I am of Christ. But I'll have you know that the head of every man is Christ. So we see a balance. Then when we look at people, we are called. In other words, that's the first time we feel called usually into some type of service to God. When we see someone who's teaching us, someone who is talking to us, we see them operating in a realm that we begin to think, you know, I, I could do that. I could be in ministry. That's how I ended up where I am today. The call of God for me, not for salvation, that's deeper. He called me to salvation From the time I was young, my first experiences were at the age of 12. And then through those years, finally at 17, I responded to the call for salvation. But later, he began to call me to service. Not just get my name in the Lamb's Book of Life and be happy that that is what I have done. Now I have accomplished. Actually, you getting saved is accomplishing nothing in your side of the ball court. In other words, that's all what Jesus did. He saved you. And by believing you now are saved and we rejoice and we give thanks to God that he is separating us. But why? I mean, are we we something that he wants to adorn his mantelpiece with like little porcelain dolls that he collects and he puts and say, these are all mine, I have acquired them. Are we a treasure? And he does call us a treasure, his jewels in one passage. And He brings us together. He will protect us and guard us. He values us. We know that, but why does he value us? And really the whole issue of this message is the value system of God toward man. We value God. Any, anybody knows that God is to be valued because he is great and powerful and wonderful and more. He's, he is beyond, beyond any price that we could ever name. He's very valuable. But How could he value us? Does he value us? And we're gonna move toward that, but first talking about this call, first we see mentors, we see people, we hear stories, biblical stories of people, we can follow their example. But more importantly, I think, and when I use the word important, I mean because of the ability to identify with someone that is alive versus um, someone that is a historical figure in the Bible or even someone who is a historical figure in a book of some past years. Right now, you know, Billy Graham has just moved into the realms of an historical figure, which of course he is. And one thing I must say about his passing is that, wow, the media has nothing negative to say. Isn't that amazing? I think it's the first time ever. I've heard the media praise a man of God for being a man of God. Like nobody can deny what he did and how he influenced us. He is one of the greats of our age. In fact, his dying will make him greater. And over the next 30, 50 years, he will be, in essence, elevated to the level of sainthood, according to some parliaments of religion. Of course, we don't believe in sainthood. He's a saint. We're a saint when you believe in Jesus. You're a saint. So I'm Saint Stephen. There's Saint Eric because we're believers. It's that simple. But but we're going to look at him and think about. So he's a he could and he did. I know. He inspired thousands and thousands of people not to get saved, but to go into the ministry. Because they saw him on a stage preaching. They saw him teaching. And the impact of those messages as believers, not as lost. Of course, I can't even calculate the lost people that came to Christ because of his influence. But I'm talking about believers watching a man of God, thinking, man, maybe I could do that. Now, that happened to me with a missionary that came to our church when I was only 17 years old, David Hogan, missionary preacher, called wild, him the wild man, all kinds of amazing stories, miracle stories so extreme were the miracles in his ministry that when he described them, about one-third of the congregation looked like rolled eyes. Like that's that's not real. Literally, these are church people couldn't believe it. And because the stories were amazing, but so I knew that when he came and shared these stories, everything he said resonated inside of me on a level that went beyond comprehension. And that I knew without a doubt that what he was saying is true. It so inspired me to think, what if I could raise the dead? What if I could lay hands on lepers and see the leprosy disappear? What if I could go to places where the gospel's never been preached? What if I could, all these what ifs, I was inspired or called by God from seeing this man. And I started thinking about today in my conversation with my friend, I started thinking about all the times that God has used the image of man to call me to another realm. By example. By example. Seeing and thinking, well, that's calling me. I see evidence, and one of them was a man in my church who, um, he was a really gifted Bible uh, teacher. And he had very specific means of studying the Bible. And he's the one that I went to visit him. And I said, I saw and would hear him speak things. His knowledge of the Bible was mind-blowing. And from my little bit of one year, two years of experience in the Bible at that time, I was mesmerized that someone could know the Bible that well. And then I started thinking, well, you know what? He's a bright guy, but I'm not too shabby myself. I perhaps could know the Bible that way. But I know it will take hard work. So I went to him and I asked him, I said, how do you know the Bible so well? And i never forget that day. He, at that moment, he said, sit down. I sat down. He cleared his desk. And he took one book out. He put the Bible out. He says, here's the Bible. He put it off to the side. He says, this is the first book you need. And he pulled out a massive, strong, exhaustive <laughs> concordance. It was really big. When he put it down, the desk shook and he opened it he says, you first need this. And he slid that up. He said, this is all of the strongest definitions encoded by number to the both Greek and Hebrew of these original passages. And I said, okay. Then he said, then he pulled out the Vines Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words, opened it up, slid it. Then he pulled out a uh, two-volume set of the Theological Word Book of Old Testament Terms. Now, he's covering, little by little, he has these books he's putting out there and explaining to me. I asked the question, and I wanted to know. I felt called to study the Bible. Not just read it and think, oh, that's nice, but really, I knew if it can be studied deeply, I want to do that. But he kept pulling books out. Finally, he had about 15 texts, big texts. None of them were as small as the Bible. They were all really meaty books. He covered the whole desk. And he says, this is, this is the bare minimum. He says, this is what you need. This is like to get you started. And my mouth hung open like, oh. But I knew he was right. And I said, so how can I get these books? He folded them all back up, stacked them up, and he put them in the box. And he gave me the box. He says, you can buy them from me. And I thought, oh, that's it. He's a book salesman. No, he was not. All of the books he bought and took and sold at what his cost was. Because he kept them in the library. So when people asked him, he could give them. Because he got so used to people coming and asking, how do you know the Bible so well? And he says, I study. And he showed me how, taught me how. I went home and I studied. I carried that library onto the mission field with me and used it on the mission field for 10 years. By that time, the advent of computers and technology came in and replaced every single one of those books. In fact, now my library far exceeds what that minuscule group of 15 texts used to give me. And the, the speed at which I can use a computer now, it's incomparable to that. I can go immediately figure out, and it's beautiful, but it had to start somewhere with a call to know his word. And I saw that the reason why I was afforded that, they, believe me, in the church there were a lot of people, but not everybody had that library. Which, by the way, he gave me the books on credit and I had to pay for them. I had to go out and cut grass, wash cars, do errands for people, small jobs here and there. And I paid for every book. And he says, there's a principle here. You must pay for these. And I understood it. I earned those books and it honored God. And God then blessed a hungry heart with the ability to start receiving revelation. And this is all part of how God's called us. Now, not everyone responds to such a call. In the church, there were over 200 members. I asked one time, how many people have all these books in their home? And he knew right away, because it was his church. He was an elder in that church. He knew all the people. He He said probably about three people. So I was one of the three people in the church that had that entire library. And I realized, wait a minute, I'm in an elite group of individuals. How could I have ended up here? I feel so special. But honestly, it was me. It was my hunger. The call came, but we have to respond to the call. So now that leads us to the next part, number two, where it says, those he wanted. He called those he wanted, and they came to him. Now that word wanted disturbed me when I read it. If it says that there were those he wanted, it implies that there were those he did not want. Ouch. So who does he want? And who does he not want? And why? You understand, these are the questions that arose in my heart when I read this. Wait a minute. If he wants them, why? And I started thinking, well, firstly, we can conclude that, well, he wanted them because of a sovereign move of the Father. The Father said these and these alone shalt thou pick from the midst of the men. No, it was deeper than that. Because the words are an amalgam between Jesus, it says Jesus chose them. It says that the Father gave them to him. I received the ones, John chapter 17. But we see that Jesus and the Father working together to pick out these 12 people that we see in this story because they were the ones that he wanted. Now everybody's called, but now what escalates us to a level, and it's interesting to think about Jesus wanting people uh, and, and perhaps not wanting. Other. Well, obviously he didn't want. You know, he had other people to choose from at this time. There's a mention of 72 or 70 in a gospel. There's, there's a mention of hundreds and thousands that were amassed around Jesus following him listening to the teachings we see lots of people that jesus called himself and he wanted he began wanting them but what happened they had other concerns other things they wanted to do so much so that jesus began to tell parables about people who he invited to the kingdom to participate with him in his work who had many excuses of why they could not so then again you see it's not so much who he wants as who wants to be wanted by him um my studies of the bible that i talked about a moment ago was because i had an intense desire to please god and i knew that knowledge of his word will strength, power in life i read david's romance with the law it's puzzling that he would talk about the law like a beautiful woman it's delightful, it's beautiful, there's nothing more beautiful. And I thought, how can you see laws and feel that? But he gives reasons why in, in the Old Testament. He says because it leads me to righteousness, because it heals me, because it takes me um, in the right path, because it, it transforms me, because it is the delight, because it, you know, all these, he gives reasons why it was so beautiful, specific things. So he had a love relationship with God's holy word. And I had the same thing. I learned how to love His Word. By the way, in the beginning, I did not really love it that much. And I had to ask God to put hunger in my heart. Because somebody asked me, well, you know, what if I, sometimes, you know, I see you guys really like to read the Word, and I don't always really want to read. I said, actually, there was many times in my early Christian life where I did not want to read the Bible. And I realized that's not good. And I actually prayed for God to give me the desire to read His Word and I prayed often, and it worked. Suddenly, the, this con- this feeling started coming over me more and more, the Bible, the Bible. Why do you think I'm driven with the Bible to this day? Why do you think I always talk? Because God put the desire in me. But I had to first want the desire. And this is about this whole interest that he had in some people. There were people all around him, but often the question arises concerning whether or not God has favorites. We talk about that here. Does God have favored people? Well, the answer to the question is, is yes. God has favorites. I mean, we see it in the Bible. The Bible is the story of God's favorite people. We see it in this passage. He's choosing just 12 gods. And he's separating, in essence, by the simple meaning of the word favorite, the favored ones above others. He favored these above other choices. They had lots of choices. But he favored them. So it's really not, the question is not whether or not God has favorites, but why does he have favorites? And if we understand it and we walk in the right path, we will and can become God's favorite choice or the thing that he wants. And so are there people more highly favored by God in his kingdom? Of course there is, and the real question is not whether they are favorites, but why are they favored? And it comes down to this and you've heard me say it before, He favors the ones that favor Him. If you seek first the kingdom of God, then he, he takes care of your life. He works everything out. If you make Him your priority, you become His priority. In a group of people, in a room, you give me a hundred people, and I need to bond with people, and I need to risk my life with them, and I need to be walk through life with them, and I need to depend upon them, and build a relationship with them and I already have some limited experience with them that gives me enough knowledge because think about when Jesus was doing this choosing he had already been with them for quite a while. Many people. For a long time. So he had enough time to learn things about everyone. And he learned good things, bad things. He doesn't judge but in this case he kind of does because he's choosing based upon individual qualities or things that people do, who he will put into a special group. So think about these 12 people and consider all of those people who were not listed. This, this passage in Acts chapter 121. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. This is when they had to replace Judas Iscariot, who had died. And, or better yet committed suicide. He was gone. Now they needed to find someone to fill in that space because they were left with 11 disciples. And very specifically, there were supposed to be 12 disciples. And so somebody's missing. And the criteria for being eligible to take the place of the absent chosen one was just what it says here. The men who have been with us the whole time, the Lord Jesus was living among us. In other words, the men that were present. The men that were there. I think of this when I think of church participation. Uh, when I have to choose people to do it, I think, who comes to church? Ultimately, sometimes that's all you have to choose because nobody else is there. Which, by the way, our dear friend Caleb is not here tonight because he is suffering with some pain in his body. And he was heartbroken that he wouldn't be able to be here. I mean, he loves, you know, you always see Caleb here in the house of God. He he was really heartbroken. But we, we FaceTimed him, we called him, We prayed for him. We blessed him. Uh, Apparently it's a nerve thing. So in Jesus' name be healed. He may be watching us right now. He probably is. So God finished the work that we prayed for today and healed him. But there are people who are near. And the criteria for the one that would be the replacement for Judas was somebody that was there through the whole thing. And that answers some questions about why would some be wanted. Because of your commitment. What is your commitment to God? What is your commitment to the kingdom of God? Well, God sees it, and he responds when the time comes for him to do things. And this is what he's doing with these people. We go to number three. The next word is appointed. He appointed 12. In other words, it was not immediately known that these 12 men would become the apostles. And they did not yet know at this point before this appointment, they did not know the name Apostle they were in a group of disciples that were following Jesus now granted they had close access to Jesus but I have to really start thinking because we're only in the third chapter of Mark Um, maybe we know them so well because we think more of them after they've been appointed because they were designated or given titles but I wonder how much they did not mix in the bigger group of 70 preceding this month and were just part of the people around them. We hear stories of them, and of course, in hindsight, remember the Gospels were written some 60 or 70 years after the fact. A lot of people don't realize that. Many years had gone by before the Gospels. It's like at the end of their lives, they decided, we better write this stuff down so that people can remember that. And that's when they got serious about recalling the events and chronicling it in letters that they would send to the churches so that in absence of their personal testimony, there would be letters they could read. And that's how the Gospels came to be, the synoptic Gospels and the Gospel of John. But in thinking about that appointment, in the early part, with hindsight, you would refer to those appointed guys in their past as the appointed guys. But I think it would be different if you were back in time without knowledge of the gospels. And that it was fair. Remember recently I did a message about the kingdom of God being an equal opportunity place. About the five wise and the five foolish virgins. We also saw that continued when we talked about the people to whom the talents were given, or the bags of gold, four given to one or five given to one, two to one, one to one, to just test and see. All of them had opportunities and whether they did the right thing or not was up to them. And the ones that were favored or chosen were ones that did the right things. And so I really started thinking about this appointment. Again, this appointment means that they were designated as special representatives of Jesus for work after his departure from earth. So they're separated because he knows he's not gonna be here forever. He's gonna die on the cross. He may resurrect, of course, but after that, he still has to ascend into heaven. He won't be here anymore. So he needs to train some replacements. It would be like starting a business, and you do everything, which is usually the case in the beginning. Until you hire someone and train them, and they get good enough, you really find that you cannot have to be there all the time because they can do what you do. That's exactly what Jesus did. It was on-the-job training that the disciples were going through. But they were in a period of probation for the first few chapters of Mark, for the first nine chapters of Matthew. They were in that period of testing. Hmm, I wonder, let's just try them out and see, like an apprenticeship. And then if so, then later we'll give them a position. And that's exactly what happens at this moment of appointment. So I always ask this question because it comes down to what we want to do for God to get to the level of appointment, they first had to respond to the call and become wanted, we saw. How are they wanted? They wanted because they were valuable. Now, you only want what is valuable to you in some way. That's not unfair. And I know this just kind of um, fights against some of the concepts of grace that we have. We start thinking, wait a minute, this sounds like works, because it is. The kingdom of God is a place of labor and work and service to the king. It's not a place where we all... Just, once again, we are not figurines to be put on a mantle. We do things that, that affect change in eternity. And part of it is these... I mean, I ask, do you want an appointment from God in the kingdom? Wouldn't you like that God sees you as so valuable because of the things that you do? He decides, you know what? I'm going to appoint you to a special office because you're so important and... You've proven yourself. I threw everything at you. I tried to get you to see if I could break you down. It was all a test. Don't take it personal. I was just trying to develop your character. But hey, you made it. So um, I'm going to appoint you to a special place. I've seen God do that. God's certainly done it in my life. Everything that I have been given in ministry through the years, appointments, positions, have been preceded by very long times of trial with daily opportunities to quit. But I just hang in there. Stay focused. Keep serving. Keep serving. Keep serving. I like Dory in Finding Nemo. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep going. Keep going. Focus. Just keep going. Don't look to the left or the right. Set your face like Flint, the Bible says. Be like that prophet on mission. He said, Don't turn, don't talk to anybody on the roadside, don't listen to anybody. You just go on your appointed mission. You do the be like that. And I've been like that all those years. And then God responded, Because I've always wanted an appointment in His name. I've never wanted to be just a number. I don't want to be lost in the sea and the myriads of souls on Judgment Day. Or in the reward banquet of heaven. I I want a special place. We say that sounds kind of greedy. That sounds like avarice. Yes, yes. Yes. And it is okay to want that. But you want it in eternity. Not here. That's the difference. I want to be special in eternity. Mm -hmm. And I will do everything within my power. To make sure that I get appointments on earth. That incrementally will bring me to that level. I want to be wanted by Jesus. Oh, how I want Jesus to want me doesn't always make sense i mean we just um we just ran the chorus to a song and i did not put these two things together until just now god told me to learn this song that we did that new song Uh, god you don't need me but somehow you want oh how you love me somehow that frees me to take my hands off of my life and the way it should go Really beautiful lyrics, written by a group, a group named 10th Avenue North. Really good album. There's another song we do from them, too. Um, I Have This Hope. I have this hope. They're, both, they're really good writers. And I like that. It caught my eye that somehow you want me. I don't understand exactly why, because I have a certain understanding of myself. Even when I do what I'm supposed to do, I'm instructed to call myself an unprofitable servant. So I keep that mentality of humility by choice but I want to be wanted. I want to be valued by God, and I will do what it takes to get to that place. Are you becoming valuable enough in his kingdom to be wanted to stay there? Not just stay there, but God to decide to promote you to another level of usefulness because you've been faithful with little. And will that series of promotions continue through the rest of your life, like stair steps leading up toward your eternal place. I think that should all be our vision. I think we should all have that same mentality. Do you think that the kingdom of God is a place of jobs and functions or a place of rest? Some people think, well, I'm going to get the the kingdom of heaven. When I get to heaven, I'm just going to rest and just stroll down the golden streets. And No, actually it says we will serve him. Day and night in his temple. So if you, if you have work ethic on earth, you will fit in heaven nicely. If you like, see, you, you're going to do good. You're going to do good. I know your work ethic and I know you like work and seeing the productiveness of it. Apply those principles to the kingdom of God and you will have a special place in eternity by the time you get there. That we work for the kingdom, do things for God that make us valuable. It's just like the secular realms. A valuable employee, you're afraid to lose them. And so what? You start giving them raises. Why? Because you know there's other people who can see the value. And they start offering. And how much they offer you? You find out, all right, all right, I'll pay you this much more than that. Because you know their value. You would rather they not have to, you like to keep it as cheap as possible because you're trying to do business and make your profit margin bigger. But you better value the ones that are most valuable because God does. And he values the employees of the kingdom that are fulfilling. Because he, ultimately he's a boss that has a lot of work to do in his corporation. His corporation on earth is massive. And he's the CEO and it all comes down on his shoulders to decide how to run that company. And guess what? He's not afraid to fire people that don't do their job. He hires people. Now, he may still take you in eternity with him. That's a given. His grace is sufficient, even in your stupidity, I mean, your weakness. He will, he will take care of you. But ultimately, he chooses people that are doing the right things. And I see this in appointment. And I want to be, I mean, an appointment is being designated to function in God's kingdom in specific roles because you have become valuable to His efforts. And I want to make sure that we all have that opportunity. So do you wish to be of use in the kingdom of God? Or are you simply looking for a free ride to heaven? Because mm-hmm. well, some people just, that's what they want, a free ride to heaven. Oh, I'm saved. Now I can just, I just need to go to church. That's enough. Just church. Just show up. I don't have to go to every service. I can go to a couple of services. Really maybe once a month, I think. If I just show up, you know, they see me, I kind of, But I might, I don't think I need to really, I don't need to be there through the whole worship because you know, it gets kind of crazy. I know what I'll do. I'll come in like, you know, maybe half hour late. They won't notice, I'll sneak in the door and I'll just kind of, you know, and I'll just worship. And they'll think I was there the whole time. And then altar call is coming so I can kind of time more or less. I've seen the pattern in people, come late, leave early. And guess what? That time of involvement gets less and less and less and less and less until they no longer come. But what is it? Those people are often the ones that are simply looking at their experience in the house of God and the kingdom of God as a free ride to heaven. This bus goes to heaven, so I'm going to keep riding it because at least I'll end up at that destination. I think it's a dangerous mentality. And I think we need to really check our hearts sometimes. Number four. I like this. That they might be with him. Wow. You understand, You get this? That he's chosen them. That it literally says. That they might be with him. In other words. With him. Remember that aforementioned criteria. For who can take the place of Judas. Was that someone that has been with us. From the beginning. The whole someone that is always at church, someone that is in every meeting, someone that is always participating, someone that is always available when needed, someone that's the kind of people that God values. Now, the most important reason for Jesus to come to earth was for the reconciliation of God and man, right? He came to bring the estranged souls of men back to unity with the Father. So that the the, the Lord's hands not shortened, our sins have separated us, it says in Isaiah. But if we consider what Jesus has done, he took down the middle wall of partition. He took down the barrier so that we can freely be reconciled to the Father. Now that is so that we can be with God. So God wanted to be with the people of earth and sent his son to redeem them for himself. Now the most valuable aspect of responding to the call of God and progressively becoming more useful and therefore more wanted or valuable, like we're talking about, is that it affords you intimacy with Jesus. To me, this is the prize. This is the prize. I was asked today, why don't I have the experiences that you have in Christ? Why don't you? I hear you talk about. These encounters and the things you experience and your stories. And I know Jesus. I read the Bible. Uh, why why have I not had these experiences? And it was a really good question. So I started thinking more and more. Well, what is what's value about about the relationship with God? People have different it's hard to sort out your motives sometimes. But I re, and I had started, yeah, why have I had And then I started thinking, well, it's pretty obvious. I've always wanted it. I've always sought it. I've never not sought an encounter from the very beginning. And I really started thinking when he asked the question, by the time the answer was rolling out, I had it all figured out. Oh, so to me, the most valuable thing about anything is that I might be with him. That I can be with the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit wants to be with me because He works confirming the things of the Father's work. And if we're doing that, which means we need to pay careful attention to what God's telling us to do, then the Holy Spirit joins that. And therefore, I know two plus two equals four. If I do what God wants, the Holy Spirit will join that. And I am with Him. That means more to me. To be with Jesus means more to me than any else. And I do not see another route. In fact, as I say, the most valuable aspect of responding to the call and progressively becoming more useful and therefore more wanted or valuable to God is that it affords you intimacy with Jesus. Now, that intimacy with Jesus, the degree that a man can experience or a woman can experience, I see no other route to that place than what we're talking about. Then, the Than this kind of dedication. That God sees the ones that chose Him, valued Him, put Him first, and those are the ones with whom He gives Himself. There is a certain thing that happens. Anybody that has an encounter with God, it only happens when they have said. He asked, So why? When did He? he, The question today, my friend, was a really good question. So, what was the first encounter you really had with God? And why did you have that encounter? Why can't I have that encounter? And I said, well, um, well, I'll start with this. I said, I prayed every single day for 365 days without end, without stopping. And immediately he went, oh, whew, wow. It's kind of like, go and sell everything and give it to the poor. And then come follow me. And you'll have a root for treasure in heaven. Now, now, my friend today is not like that. He's dedicated, and, and he's on the back. He got the revelation the right way. Say, oh, and you tell look at his face. And it looks like I have some praying to do. <laughs> Three hundred and sixty-five days, I sought with nothing, no feelings, no anything. You say today you didn't quite feel what we feel. Hey, I hope you get it faster than I got it. It took me a year, every day praying, begging, pushing in, and just pleading with God to touch me. Most of you know my testimony. Many people do not gain intimacy with Christ due to the fact that they're not becoming more wanted or more valuable to Him. In the meantime that you're seeking, you start doing things for His kingdom that make you a valuable part of the company. Because really, that intimacy is a promotion. And it is given. This is why they're being separated and appointed. They're called, separated, and appointed that they might be with Him together in unity with Him. So then, what happens after we're with them? Well, that takes us to number five. We get sent. They, that He might send them out. Now, here the real motive is uncovered. God is a serious boss. And really what he wants is to recruit workers. He said it to the disciples. Look, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'd send forth laborers into the harvest field. He immediately said, look, we need workers. We need good workers. The whole expose, that he might, the purpose of all the things that we've seen so far in this message, the purpose they're recalled, the purpose for the value of them rising and why it should, the purpose of being appointed, The purpose of even being with Jesus was so that they could be sent. Now, not putting the cart before the horse, there are people who want many things, but the real question you have to ask is, are you willing to be sent? Are you willing to be, remember the word apostle, that he calls them for the first time at this time, means sent one. (laughs) So what designates you is the fact that you are willing to be sent and go through the process of training and empowerment and therefore sending. And that's exactly what's taking place in this passage. And it says there that he might send and the value of the disciples that's translated into the designating of them as apostles was all precursor to this sending. That they would have this deployment as his agents of kingdom business. So if we do not see that the entire purpose of growing in value with God and taking a position of service is at the heart of our relationship with Him, we may miss an opportunity to be sent. So why would you want to get close to God? So that you can be sent. Now the people ask, well, why, you know, why would you have the anointing? I would not. Well, I'll tell you what put me on the track. You know why I prayed for 365 days? It's always good to discover the motive. Yeah. Oh, because you wanted an encounter with God. Yeah, but do you know Why? I wanted an encounter with God. Because you wanted to experience God's presence. Yes, but do you know why I wanted to? Because the first thing he told me the day that I received Jesus was I'm going to send you around the world. He spoke into my heart. I'm going to send you around the world. And I told the Lord that. When I got saved, I told him I'll go. Then, When that preacher preached and the call came through him that I knew I was going to have to go to nations, then, then, then I decided, well, if I go, I certainly don't want to show up empty-handed. I want to have something to offer. And I can have Bible knowledge, that's good. But I need also the power. And that's what I was praying for for 365 days. The, I wasn't even completely, honestly looking for God. I was looking for the power. And I was trying to find a way. How can I get the power because I'm going to need it. But my priority was that I was going to be sent. I knew I was going to be sent. I knew I was going to go to the nations and I knew that I need the empowerment to be able to do that. The byproduct later I discovered intimacy. The intimacy did not come first. But the desire for power, the spiritual gifts, so that I could tell people about him. My testimony and my desire to testify was first. I want to tell everybody about this Jesus and what he's done for me. But when I do, I want what I felt coming out of that evangelist and that pastor and that worship leader and that teacher. And what I read about in these stories and what I hear that came out of Catherine Coleman. And I want that. And that's what, that was my motivation to pray, to seek, and ask. A lot of people do not have such a motivation. Many people just throw their hands up and decide, well, that's only for the elite. You know what it is, but why are they the elite? We're back to the same question. Is, are they elite because God sovereignly has separated them and chose them? Or are they elite because they did things that made them become elite? And therefore valued and used by God? I'm, I lean toward the second choice. Because it says that since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. By what we do, by our choices. So here he's separating them. For this purpose, he sends them. I like Romans 10:13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, that's true. Well, then how how can they call on one they have not believed in? It's a good question. Well, How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? Yeah, because they need to hear it first. It goes on. And how can they hear without somebody or someone preaching to them? Because the message has to be spoken by somebody, a messenger. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Have to be sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And that brings us to number six preach. They sent to do what? Now you're sent. What are you doing when you get out there? Well, to preach. You're out to preach. So it's simple terms of description of job in the kingdom. We see that they preached. So before anything else, it states that this is the reason in sending. So that they speak. So I think everyone should have a desire to preach. Well, I'm not really a preacher. Well, you better become one. If you want favor with God, you need to learn how to preach. I'm not Thinking like exactly how I do it. There's many different forms of preaching. You don't need to get super spiritual and hallelujah. I preach the word of God to you and go to a special school on how to say it the right way. When I when you hear me get emotional, I'm not getting emotional because I learned. I'm getting emotional because I'm emotional. Yeah. And I'm amplifying because I'm just so excited. I feel like my legs are gonna fall off. And I like I need to scream sometimes because of what I feel about God's Word, the messages that I'm sharing. So that's preach. That's what they call preach. You preach it. Well, you're sent to do that. But none of that's going to be possible without that intimacy. None of the, there's, a, there's a road that we walk in progression for that appointment, that separation, that sending, so that then the words we speak will carry the weight. But at this current time, I think all of us have a job to preach. I believe that every believer should make it their goal to become good preachers. Whether they're pulpits are at a church or at a coffee shop or at a family reunion or at a funeral. Some of the best messages I ever preached are at funerals. I mean, it's just a good time to tell the good news of Jesus. I preach at weddings. I'll do a wedding and conduct a wedding and preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make it very clear. And it's easy to do because the Bible scriptures are a comparison of salvation, church, and man and woman. And the, how the analogy is the same. So I'm just like Christ loves the church, and you know how he loved, he gave his life. I mean, it's the gospel. Any marriage, it's a presentation of the gospel. And because you know, marriage is not a celebration of the harmony of two people, it's a celebration of the redeemed of God coming together to serve in union. Romans 10 again, it says it there. We just read it, but I want to look at it again because we saw sin, but we see preach. How can they preach if they're not sin? Their feet are beautiful. And they're there bringing the news. How can they preach unless they're sent? So we send them to preach. And their preaching causes people to hear, and they believe because they heard, I'm reverse engineering the passage, and then they believe because they heard, and they believe, and therefore call on God. And then they're saved. So really this verse, Paul said it backwards. If you reverse it, you see the progression very easy. The good news, first you need feet to carry it, then we need to send that guy so that he can preach, so that they can hear and believe, and because they believe, they know who to call on and then they'll get saved. Is wow, that's that Yes. And that's exactly the progression. Paul's just poetically speaking of it in reverse, so that he can expose the need. Well, you can't have this without this. You can't have that without that. You can describe a house... From the roof down, but that's not the way it was built. It was built from the foundation up. So it's the same with this passage in the church. Let's end this message. Number seven: Authority. To have authority to drive out demons. I like that. This word "authority" appears 102 times in the New Testament. That's a lot of authority. Because God's into His authority. In all ways, it's about authority of government or authority of God. More common than about 70 uses, is God's authority lent to men to do amazing things, both through Jesus and through the disciples. And that's the reason. What they could tell Jesus and the disciples were different because they spoke as people having this. So really, this is the difference. This is the gift that He gives us so we can do what we need to do. It's mentioned also Matthew 10, you know that verse where it says in verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So in tandem with that are the miracles that happen. That's part of the authority. The authority that we have. We had um, our, our brother Ben this morning here in the morning uh, in the Benchu, in the congregation of the Chinese church and he came and shared testimony about his healing in his back of a slip disc and there was a man in the meeting with a slip disc and came up and said, Pray for him. I got that. And so we laid hands on him. and prayed. I don't I don't know the fullness of what's happened, but I'm believing for a full healing. Because as he was asking and we prayed, we know we have authority from God to speak that authority over him. And it was really good. Wonderful experience. Amen? I think I've made my point, so let's go to the recap here. On the mountainside, seven things about how God chooses man to work in His kingdom. Well, He calls them, and He wants them, if they're valuable. And it's just being fair. The ones that are valuable, the ones that are the wise virgins, the ones that do the right things with the bags of gold, all those things in the Bible we see make us valuable in His kingdom. And when we are valuable, then He appoints us to positions... And really that appointment is so that we gain a greater intimacy with Jesus. How do you get to an intimacy? A lot of people want to cut all this stuff out and just go straight to the intimacy. I just want to love Jesus and be loved by Jesus. Hallelujah. That's not enough. Because that's not God's desire. God has a purpose for all things. He has a purpose for saving you. He's not saving you just to save you. He's saving you so that you can be implemental and useful to touch other people. It's always about everything else. So the intimacy then translates. Once we're intimate, then he knows he can send us. Because the intimacy to be with him, they learned and then they were sent so they could preach, actually speak. Which, by the way, if you want to learn to preach, I can teach you. I have classes coming up. June, July, and August. The program comes again. Uh, You won't be here. I'll have to go to New Zealand and do it. Amen. I mean, if you want to go to New Zealand, we we'll all go to New Zealand and just go and sleep on their living room floor and give them the preaching class there. I want to go to the Shire and see the Hobbit's houses anyway. <laughs> you go scout out the Shire first. Yeah, okay. You tell us what's there. We're going to come see the houses. Okay. The yeah, Definitely. definitely. You pray for the place that we have to stay in. We don't have a house yet. Oh, okay. Lord, give them a house with big rooms. <laughs> I sleep on the floor. I don't need. I don't need a special place. Just some cots, you know, like some roll. I, I, when I go into Japan, I'm, I sleep on the very commonly. Sleep on it's very comfortable. I'm okay with that. But we preach, we teach, and then God gives us His authority. He backs it up with signs and wonders. Amen. Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg Thank you!